0: You guys, welcome to episode two of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives on the well-known and, more importantly, not-so-well-known hookups and one-night stands of your favorite reality TV stars. I am your host, Troy McEady, and today's episode is dedicated to somebody who means a lot to me, and I feel very safe to assume that she probably means a lot to you as well if you're listening to this podcast. I feel like you're my people. Um, Her leaked sex list that she wrote in rehab, which... I'm not going to condone you Googling that is between you and God, but I just want to put it out there that it is fucking incredible and very inspiring. Um, That was a huge inspiration for me starting this podcast, to be honest with you. And I feel like the buzzwords rehab and sex list should probably have clued you in to who I'm talking about by now. But if not, it is Lindsay Lohan. Did you guys know that in April of 2005, Lindsay Lohan dated Talon Torero from Laguna Beach? Because I had no idea. And when I found out, of course, being the nosy bitch I am, I wanted to unpack it. So let's get right into it. So Lindsay and Talon dated slash hooked up for a few weeks in April of 2005. And the relationship was super short-lived, if you want to call it a relationship. I'm pretty sure they met and had sex a few times and never spoke again. But the real meat and potatoes of this story is that it had some pretty dramatic ups and downs uh, for only lasting a month, as most things do in Lindsay Lohan's life. And there was an alleged altercation between Lindsay Lohan and Kristen Cavallari over Talon. Now, this story was told by Kristen herself. So, whether it's true or not doesn't really concern me. I I choose to believe all things that are alleged. Like, as soon as you tell me a story like this, like, my mind is already creating all of the who, what, when, where, and why's of the situation. So, to me, this happened. Uh... Lindsay has gone on to say that she believes Kristen made up this story to like further her career. This was right around the time that Laguna was like, I want to say entering its second season or ending its second season. So these people, I mean Lindsay and not Lindsay, but uh Kristen and, and Talon were like pretty famous at this point. And uh like I said, I'm choosing to believe every single morsel of this story is factual because that's the kind of person I am. I'm messy. You can choose to believe what you'd like. If you're listening to this, I'm assuming you're probably messy too. So let's just call this what it is. Scripture. This is Bible scripture, basically. And this story is one of Lindsay's first really messy scandals. And everybody involved in it is pretty young. So there's a level of innocence to it. And it's actually kind of silly. I think that's why I've always loved this story so much. And for that reason, it's held a special place in my heart. Um, It also involves... One of my all-time favorite reality TV villains ever, ever, Kristen cavallari um, obviously second to Daniel Staub. I'm not here to disrespect anybody. I'd like for it to be publicly known that Daniel Staub holds the number one slot in my heart for reality TV villains, but Kristen is a very, very close second. So I'm excited to get into this. Um And as I've said before, well, we've had one episode, so it's not like I've said it a million times. But the one time that I I recorded a podcast, um, I mentioned that I'd like to start each week by kind of deep diving on what these people were doing in their lives before they met each other and what sort of led them to one another. Obviously, we're going to start with Lindsay. There's not really much to say about Talon. So we're going to start with Lindsay Lohan. I also just wanted to point out, by the way, as a side note, that this is also Lindsay's first year as a blonde. Which adds literally nothing to the story, but also adds so much. I don't want to disclose any information from you. I want you to fully feel like you were in 2005. So I just want to let you know that Lindsay Lohan had first bleached her hair during the year that she fucked Talon. Okay? I want us to stay open with each other. So you could easily consider this to be the peak of Lindsay Lohan's acting career. She was highly insurable. She was highly sought after. And she was in that very coveted it girl position in Hollywood that I think every young actress hopes to achieve, especially if you're a girl who's exiting the Disney machine, like you're making that next step. The goal is to become an it girl. You know what I mean? And she had done it. And this was also that small sliver of time that you could consider Lindsay Lohan to just simply be like a movie star and nothing else all of those things that we now sort of equate to her name because we've been so used to reading them in tabloids for so long, like, you know, Troubled Actress and Troubled Starlet and Hollywood Bad Girl, all those things. Like, she was none of those. She was literally just a big-budget, giant box office, money-fucking-ranking-in movie star. And you know what? It can be really terrifying to be gifted that title of It Girl, especially when you're a young person who's entering the industry with a closet full of skeletons, which in Lindsay's case would obviously be her family, that would inevitably come and haunt you. I mean, like, you can't avoid your family, especially when you're nine. You know what I mean? Like, it's your mom and dad, and they're managing your career. Like, she was fucked from the beginning. I don't think it really mattered what level of success Lindsay ever got to. Inevitably, the press would eat her alive she really stood no chance and that's not to say that you know a large portion of that wasn't her fault she fed into it but I mean with a girl who has Michael Lohan and and Dina Lohan as her parents like what the fuck else would she do make smart choices clearly not And I do at some point want to touch on the whole It Girl thing um, before we end this episode because I just find the entire concept so interesting behind becoming an It Girl and trying to sustain It Girl relevance and how if you fuck up while you're an It Girl, like us as the public, we will turn on you and we'll fucking carry you out to a cross and burn you publicly for the whole town to see. Like, that's how it ends. If you do something wrong, you're done. And I just find the whole thing so fascinating. So I do want to, like I said, I want to talk about the whole it girl thing before we end this episode. Another thing that I've always found really interesting about Lindsay's career is that you've been able to really gauge the decline of her insurability in Hollywood, according to the press. Like... I don't know about you, but I remember in the early 2000s, I used to religiously check, like, X17 and TMZ and all those websites. And that was, like, pre, you know, having the internet on your your phone, so you would have to literally go to your computer and check all day in between whatever you were doing. And I remember there being this sort of never-ending news stream of Lindsay's current standings with whatever director she was working with at the time. And it would always start off with this very, like, public declaration from the director that you know he was going to take a chance on Lindsay Lohan and how excited everybody was to work with her and they've met with her and she's ready to turn over a new leaf and blah 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 and then you would fast forward a couple months and it would turn into press interviews about you know how many days of filming she had missed or how much money she was costing production by not showing up or you know who she wasn't getting along with on set that was making it difficult for them to film and that had basically continued until directors really just con- they refused to work with her anymore, and she's at the point now where she literally goes on talk shows and begs for work, and it's fucking devastating. It's really it's really sad to see like one of your your idols as a child at the point where she goes on the View and is begging people to to work with her. Um, but I mean, that's where we are now. I think Lindsay Lohan has literally burned every bridge. That she's ever worked with in Hollywood. But, I mean, up to this point in 2004, Lindsay had honestly remained relatively drama-free. Like, there had been, you know, there had been a car accident or two, or three. You can't blame her. Now, look, this is where me being alone during this podcast will hinder me, because I have a sick brain. So... I will defend anything Lindsay Lohan does to the point of just being purely as delusional as she is, if not more. Like, you're basically listening to a version of Dina Lohan on Dr. Phil right now. So I hope that you're ready for that. I'm very unhinged. Um, like I said, up to this point in 2004, she hadn't really had a shit ton of drama following her around. The most dramatic thing really to happen at this point in her career was her, like, love triangle between, you know, Aaron Carter and Hillary Duff, which was innocent it was fairly innocent and probably heavily spun by their teams let's face it like that's the exact kind of scandal that executives want for young talent especially when they're all a part of the disney machine in some way they couldn't ask for something more so at this point like i said Lindsay was sort of relatively drama free and also by the way can you imagine how excited aaron's team was for that shit to be going on like, obviously, Lindsay's people were behind it a little bit. Hillary's people were behind it a tiny bit as well. But, like, I specifically imagine Aaron's team to be losing their shit. Aaron included. That there are two it girls, you know, teen it girls fighting over him publicly. Come on. So, in February of 2004, Lindsay starred in Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen. And this would have been her final film. Or Actually, no. This would have been her second-to-last film that she had done with Disney, uh... Kirby Fully Loaded in 2005 was the last film Lindsay had done under the Disney umbrella, and that was also around the same time that she had dated Talon. Confessions went on to earn $29 million at the box office, so it wasn't a hugely successful film, it it was critically panned, the movie was terrible, but it did its job at the time, which was really just to keep... Lindsay's young female demographic interested and to keep them ravenous for more Lindsay Lohan. Um, so I guess for that reason you could consider it to be successful, but the movie did terrible and I love it for every reason that you should not love a movie. Confessions also earned Lindsay her first Teen Choice Award for a breakout movie star. And at that point, I mean, look, the foundation was there for Lindsay to take on that eight girl title. And especially for a Disney girl, an MTV movie award and a Teen Choice Award specifically for biggest breakout star. Those are signs that it's coming. So for Lindsay, we were just sort of waiting for that big blockbuster movie to come along and propel her. And in April of 2004, the stars aligned. And God showed himself to be real. All non-believers became believers. All non-Christians became Christians and God warriors because Mean Girls was released. And Mean Girls would have been Lindsay's first independent non-Disney role, so the first movie to be released in her career up to this point that wasn't under the Disney umbrella. And uh, Mean Girls went on to earn $130 million at the box office. I don't need to spell this one out for you. I mean, look, we all know by now that Mean Girls is a giant pop culture phenomenon. It was insanely successful. And it became a movie that really defined an entire generation. Um... It's what, you know, Clueless was 10 years prior and what Heather's was 10 years prior to that. It was really the movie that kind of summed up an entire decade of youth. Um, And I feel really lucky to have been in high school, honestly, when Mean Girls came out. Like, I'm happy with the movie that defines my generation. Mean Girls is fucking incredible. But we don't need... Like, I'm not going to... I could sit here for an hour, honestly, and go on about how incredible Mean Girls is. I could quote it. We could do all the things. But... I've got some business to attend to. His name's Talon and we've got to get to him. Mean Girls really cemented Lindsay as an actress and it made her a household name. Um, And it also immediately propelled her into that whole It Girl status that I mentioned earlier, which, like I said, I've always found the entire thing behind becoming an It Girl really interesting, specifically because there's just such a rise and fall for girls who achieve that title. And there are some girls who are catapulted into it immediately. They'll do, like, one film and then become an It Girl. And then there are some girls who are, you know, they'll work consistently for, like, 10 to 15 years, but it takes them a longer time to get there. And then they'll randomly do one movie that changes, like, the entire public's outlook on them. It just It's just very, it's weird to me. And I just find it really interesting to look back on different It Girls and how they've sort of handled the title, especially because being an It Girl... You know, it's great for the moment because it propels you into a level of fame that allows you to basically do whatever the fuck you want. Like, every director is looking to, you know, work with you. Every designer wants to dress you for every event that you're being invited to, which, by the way, is every single event that exists. Like, you show up to the opening of an envelope and people lose their shit. Um, You know, every company wants to use your face to sell products. It's great, but the downside is that the public will inevitably turn on you. And there are some girls who recover from that and then there are some girls who don't. And to me, that's the most interesting thing about it. And I just want to really quickly go over some examples of different girls who at some point in their careers had been given that title of It Girl and how it really sort of affected their careers and affected them as people and how they chose to, I guess, just sort of handle it. So this first example is somebody that I believe really is the embodiment of what it means to be an It Girl in this industry. And I find her to be one of the most interesting examples because she's really resilient and she's been an it girl and she's been vilified so many different times in her career but she's found a way to always come back and always find herself back in like the good graces of america all she has to do is smile and we love her again of course i'm talking about julia roberts the queen of all it girls So, in 1988, Julia Roberts starred in Mystic Pizza. She acquired a cult following, and that was followed then by Steel Magnolias in 1989. That film won Julia a Golden Globe, and she actually earned her first Oscar nomination. In 1990, she starred in Pretty Woman, which, of course, skyrocketed her into definite it-girl territory. She had become America's sweetheart. She was really bankable as an actress in Hollywood, and the public's interest in her personal life raised... And she started to become vilified in the press. In Julia's case, because of a slew of failed relationships, and I think more notably, she had a really bad breakup with Kiefer Sutherland, and that was the first time that the press had really sort of turned on her. And it actually caused her to take an 18-month break from her career, which is something that you'll find a lot of these girls do. They'll go off and take, like, you know, two years away from everything to just sort of recuperate from the fucking mental rape that they had just gone through by the public. Um, Another really good example is Anne Hathaway. So in 2001, Anne starred in the Disney film The Princess Diaries, and that was a huge commercial success. It ranked in $165 million at the box office. That movie earned her a Teen Choice Award and an MTV Movie Award nomination for Best Female Breakthrough, of course. She then went on to star in a slew of other teen films. Some were really successful, some not so much. Um, And that was when she sort of started to make her transition into... Adult roles. So in 2005, she starred in Brokeback Mountain, which cemented her as a very serious, quote, Hollywood actress. And that was followed by The Devil Wears Prada. She did Bride Wars, Alice in Wonderland, The Dark Knight Rises, and then that really famously panned Oscar hosting gig that she did with James Franco that made everybody literally want to kill themselves. And that did nothing for her public image. And then in 2012, she played Fantine in the remake of Les Mis, which, as we all know, won her an Oscar. And, you know what, I think by 2013, like, she had just become so overexposed that the public began its process of what I call punishing the it girl. And anything you read about her became increasingly negative to the point that she ended up going into hiding. Like I said, there's something that they all do. Um, I remember reading so many, like, think pieces and all these really intense articles about why we hate Anne Hathaway and what it is about her face that makes us hate her and, like, just all these really mean... Look, I understand that Anne Hathaway is really, really annoying. I, I get it. Like, she, she drives me crazy sometimes. She's like a theater kid on crack. I get it. I understand all of the nuances that make her annoying. But there's also this weird, like, witch hunt element to this that I find really disturbing. Um, but I've also taken part in it, so I'm no better than anybody else. I just find it really interesting. And then this next really small list of examples that I have that I just want to run through really quickly, I like to call Fizzled It Girls. These are the girls that, for whatever reason, weren't really able to sustain their level of fame after achieving it-girl status and, you know, either walked away from their careers or were just sort of like booted out. Alicia Silverstone is a really good example, very similar to Lindsay in the sense that she, um, she was catapulted into a really insane level of fame at a really young age for one film. And she was someone who wasn't really able to bounce back from a whole slew of really poor career choices that she had made after achieving said fame. She had done The Babysitter, which is, like, one of my all-time favorite terrible movies. If you're ever up at, like, 4.30 in the morning and just so happen to turn on Lifetime, it's probably on. Um, She'd done Batman and Robin, and she just sort of faded away until we had really not heard anything else from Alicia Silverstone for a really long time. Until she uh, resurfaced for chewing and spitting her son's food into his mouth, which that's a whole nother podcast. Katie Holmes is a good example of someone who was smart enough to take advantage of her It Girl status while she had it, and she ended up giving up her acting career when she married Tom Cruise. Obviously, I know this is an extremely specific example because not everybody gives up their acting career for the Church of Scientology, but it's not specific in the sense that she gave up her career for her family. Like, by no means is that rare, especially when it comes to a fizzled It Girl. Rachel McAdams is an example of somebody who had achieved a really heightened level of fame and then decided on her own that she wanted to take some time off for whatever reason. She was offered a shit ton of insane roles. I didn't write any of them down, but, like, seriously, Google movie roles that Rachel McAdams turned down, and it will blow your fucking mind. I wish that I had examples for you right now, but she chose to take a step back, and she was never really, again, able to you know, bounce back from the time that she had taken off from her career. Okay, so getting back to the subject at hand, Lindsay Lohan. On May 23rd, 2004, Michael Lohan was arrested for assaulting his brother-in-law, Matt Sullivan, at a first communion party for Lindsay's then seven-year-old brother, Dakota. So I wanted to talk about this because this fight really marks a turning point in Lindsay's career in the sense that this would have been one of the first times that her family's drama would overshadow her work. Um, obviously this is something that went on to happen countless times throughout the rest of her life, but it really all sort of snowballed from here, from this fight between Michael and his brother-in-law. This fight also took place during Lindsay's press tour for Mean Girls, so she was forced to talk about it during all of the interviews, and, um, that included a Good Morning America appearance with Diane Sawyer. I'm gonna link to that YouTube video of her being interviewed by Diane Sawyer in the I keep saying Diane Sawyer's name wrong. I said it weird when we were doing the chaotic thing. I keep saying Diane Sawyer. Like I'm some god. I sound like Leah from Teen Mom. Liz Bentley, what are you doing to me? Anyway, I'm going to link to that video in the Facebook group because I think it does a really good job of just sort of capturing this entire time period. And they talk a lot about the stuff that we've been discussing so far. They go into detail about um, her being an it girl and about her family and her relationships. So um, I watched it like 40 times when I was preparing for this. So I will definitely post it. It's really good. So I have a People Magazine quote here from Michael Lohan. This is in reference to the brawl between he and his brother-in-law. He says, after the communion, we had a party. We were having a great time. It was a wonderful day. Then Michael says, his brother in law, Lindsay's uncle, Matt Sullivan, wanted to leave. He came across the front of the car and he swung at me, Michael says. And when he swung at me, I hit him. Lohan claims he didn't start the fight. He says, if I had approached him, why was he 20 feet in my direction and why was there blood all over the front of my Mercedes? Apparently this all had stemmed from Michael telling Lindsay that she needed to stay away from Dina's brothers because they were and I'm quoting this, conmen, schemers, and dirtballs. That is a quote from Michael Lohan. And the irony of this coming from him of all people, it just feels too obvious to really even to go into detail about. It feels like a cheap shot, honestly. Um this is like right before and right after he like went to prison. So Michael was charged with attempted assault, and while awaiting sentencing for the brawl, he was also charged with driving under the influence of alcohol and aggravated unlicensed operation of a vehicle for a car accident that he had gotten into shortly after. So he got into a car accident drunk um, with no license, and this is while he was awaiting trial for beating up Lindsay's uncle. And in June of 2004, Michael was arrested for leaving a hotel without paying a $3,000 bill. And like I mentioned earlier, this is all happening during the promotion for, you know, the largest movie role of her life. The thing that she's been working literally her entire life for since she was a baby. She's having to address her dad's like drunken brawl. And there was also reports that had come out during that time that she was supporting him financially because he didn't have any money and he's going to prison left and right. I mean, like the thing about Lindsay Lohan that kills me and it's not even really about her. It's about. The public's perception of her and the media's perception of her—it's like there are still so many people who don't understand why Lindsay Lohan is fucked up or why she can't clean her clean her act up or get her shit together. And it's like, look at her family. Her immediate family is completely fucked. Like the people you avoid in your life that you <laughs> you like excommunicate with when you get sober—that's her mom and dad. You know, so, like, what the hell is she supposed to do? As I said before, I have an unhealthy brain, and I take up for her in every way possible. It's completely illogical, and it makes no sense. But, I don't know, I guess I just, I've always looked at her and felt a little bit different about why she is fucked up. When you look at somebody like a Paris Hilton, the Hiltons are a fucked up family, that goes without saying, but... Paris Hilton has been given everything her entire life. You know what I mean? And she sort of made a conscious decision at a very young age to just be a bratty cunt all the time. And that's no shade. Like, that was her brand for a little while. Like, bratty heiress cunt. Um, (laughs) Whereas with Lindsay, I mean, she was always sort of, like, carrying her family around, like, this really negative ball and chain throughout her entire career. And, like, I don't know. I just think there are people who are raised in really chaotic situations and they grow up you know, not being able to separate themselves from those situations. And no matter how peaceful their life is at the moment, they'll find a way to create some form of chaos around them because it's all they've ever known. Like, they're comfortable in chaos. I have friends that are like that, and I've known people like that my entire life. And I literally tell them all the time, like, you have Lindsay Lohan disorder. You're addicted to chaos. Like, you don't know how to be happy unless you're in some sort of whirlwind situation or some sort of like turmoil you know what I mean and of course you get to a certain point where like you know Lindsay Lohan is in her 30s like you can consciously make the decision to not live your life like that anymore but I think when you're when you're wired that way and when you're raised that way and it's all you've ever known and your immediate family is still stuck in that like it's just hard to break free In July of 2004, Lindsay celebrated her 18th birthday, and she went public with her relationship with Wilmer Valderrama. Um, I actually have a quote here from Rolling Stone. She said, We've become really good friends. I love him to death. He's a really great guy, and he's been there with me through all this family shit that I have going on. We'll see what happens. If it matures into a serious relationship, he'll be my first real boyfriend. But I don't know. I'm only 18. Okay, but I've got a sidetrack. Can we talk for a second? Do you guys remember in the early 2000s when Wilmer Valderrama would only date young girls and that was like a thing and nobody ever even really cared about it? Do you remember when he dated Mandy Moore when she was 16 and he had turned like 21 and then he went on... Was it, he, I think he went on Howard Stern, and he had talked about, like, how he took her virginity when she was a little girl and, you know, what the night was like and all this stuff. And then she, like, went back and was like, actually, you literally didn't take my virginity. I wasn't a virgin when we had sex, and, like, you're a tack ball. Like, that's disgusting. And then um, he and Lindsay had to announce their relationship on her 18th birthday because they started dating when she was 17, What the fuck was up with Wilmer Valderrama? And now he's dating Demi Lovato and he's like 65. I have a feeling I'll be talking about Wilmer Valderrama again on this podcast. You know when you uh, don't realize a passion of yours until it just pops up and hits you in the face? I think Wilmer Val... First of all, I don't even know why I insist on saying his first and last name. By the time I get to that podcast, said podcast about Wilmer Valderrama, I will have come to terms with the fact that I can't say his last name. And I'm sorry that I've tortured you for the past three minutes. Neither here nor there. He's dated a lot of people, and I'm sure we'll definitely talk about him again. You guys, the remainder of this episode will be available for Patreon members only, so if you are a member of the Patreon page, thank you for donating. And if you're listening to this through iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever else you get your podcasts, uh, you can easily become a member too. You would just go to patreon.com slash evpsychos, and from there you will basically get walked through how to donate and you'll get full episodes of the smush room you'll get full episodes of feathers in my hair liz bentley's team mom podcast and uh you'll get molly and i's Brittany and kevin chaotic special um and then whatever else is recorded specifically for patreon members you will be subject to that as well